Let's pray together. Eternal Father, was spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days in your Son, the Incarnate Word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that Word in the power of the Spirit. We pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your Holy Gospel and write it on their hearts, your Holy Law, even as you have promised. All of this, gracious Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, chapter 24. Leviticus, chapter 24, and we'll read together verses 10 through 16. An event that's recorded for us in Leviticus, chapter 24. So we're going to reading at verse 10 and read through verse 16, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Now this is an application, of course, of the third commandment that God made clear on Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's a very serious command we have before us, a very serious command that comes to God's people in the third commandment um, of the duties that we owe to God. Uh, maybe we are quick to think about idolatry. Uh, maybe in reform circles, we, we think about the Sabbath and what our obligation is on the Lord's Day. Uh, but maybe we don't give as much thought to this commandment, this duty that we owe to God not to blaspheme his name. And of course, as we've been looking through the law of God, as we look through how God works through his law with us, whenever he forbids us from doing one thing, he's always commanding us to do the opposite. Um, he's always forbidding evil and commanding good. Um, and so, of course, to say we are not to use his name in vain means we are to use his name only in the ways that he has commanded us. Um, and this commandment comes to us with a certain uh, urgency being pressed upon us by the Lord uh, when we hear those words, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, there, there's an emphasis put on this particular commandment that we need to take Note of, and so we want we want to understand this command that God gives us, what we must do, and what we must not do, um, and so we want to think about those things together. So first, we want to think about the significance of God's name. Why is this commandment impressed upon God's people so seriously? Uh, we have to think about first the significance of God's name. Then we can think about the sin of misusing God's name. 
Um, first the significance, then the sin. Then we want to reflect also on the seriousness of this sin. The Bible impresses on us the seriousness of this sin. And then finally, we want to think about the sincere and proper use of God's name. So four points, I know. Um, I know it's disorienting, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be able to go through this together. So the significance of God's name, the sin of misusing his name, the seriousness of this sin, and the sincere and proper use of God's name. Um, one of the reasons I think that we struggle to see why this commandment is so serious is because we lose sight of the significance of God's name as it's presented to us in Scripture. Uh, God's name is unique. Um, it, it does something for God's people that our names do not do. Uh, we all have names that we are given by our parents. Uh, maybe there are various reasons why we're named the things that we're named. Um, I'm named for my two grandfathers. Those are my, my first two names. Um, and maybe you've learned and done some studying about your particular name, and you learn that your name means something. Um, you know, I think William means like bold protector. That's what that name means. Um, I'm pretty sure I wasn't given that name because my parents thought, you know, this kid's going to be a bold protector. Um, and I was a little bit of a timid kid, so it definitely was not true of me. Um, so we have names. We know our names have meanings, um, but not always are they connected to anything about us. Um, our names might mean something, but they don't, they don't capture our essence necessarily. Um, but in Scripture, of course, names are often used to capture the essence of an event or the essence of who a person is. Uh, names are often given to, to say something about the person or say something about the situation in which the person finds themselves. And that is, of course, all a reflection of who God is. Um, and so when, when Scripture has names that mean something and we're called to take note of those meanings... Um, we, we can think maybe a Peter. I, I'm going to call you Peter because on this I will build the, on this rock I will build my church. Peter means rock, and so there's a significance to Simon being called Peter there, um, or the significance of Jesus. Right when the angel comes and says, "You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Uh, Jesus means Savior or God saves. Uh, that, that name means something. And in Scripture, that's often true, but it's particularly true of God. Um, think about trying to describe God to someone, to say who God is. How do we, how do we capture Him? Uh, how do we summarize who He is? It takes a long time to figure out how to tell someone who God is. And one of the ways that God has revealed Himself to us is by His name. Um, particularly we, when we think of the name, as we, we heard about in Leviticus 24, we think of that name that God made known to Moses. Um, that, that God's people knew he was God. They knew that he was the Lord. But you might remember that incident at the burning bush. Um, when Moses hears this voice and God speaks to him, um, and Moses said to God in Exodus 3, if the people of Israel... If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. 
this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Um, now, that, there's something amazing about that name. Um, and, and if you read that in Exodus 3, 13 through 15, you'll see that I am who I am is all in capital letters. Um, it, it's a name. Now, it's a strange sort of name. Um, boys and girls, if you're like me, when I was little, I thought, what does that name mean? It seems like it's going to be this great reveal, and then it really sounds kind of like a tautology, just a, a true statement repeated, I am who I am. Um, what, what is the significance of that? Well, I am who I am means I am who I've always been. Uh, you know, God has to kind of describe him that way because he's not like us. He doesn't change. <clears throat> he never becomes something he's not. What he is, he's always been. Um, he is self-existent. Um, he's the God who never began, who never comes to an end. He's the eternal God. Um, he has always been. I am who I am. He's self-sufficient. Um, he's absolutely sovereign. I am who I am. I've always been this. I will always be this. This is my name forever, God says. This is how I'm to be known throughout the generations. The Lord who is the covenant God, Yahweh we sometimes say, and this God who is who He is. And actually as we begin to ponder and meditate on that name, it's a very precious name to God's people. Um, I am who I am in every circumstance. Um, when we begin to learn who God is, it's a great comfort to us that He always is who He is. Um, that he is always the God who was powerful in creation. He's the mighty creator God. He's the God who saved his people uh, when, they, when they struggled, when they, needed, when they needed help. God was their help. And so that name continues to ring out to God's people. I am who I am. In whatever your situation, whatever your need, whatever your circumstance, I don't change. I am who I am. Um, because he was the covenant God, because he was the God who'd made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, when their descendants hundreds of years later called out to him for help, he saw and he remembered and he knew because he is who he is. There's no shadow or variation of change in him. And the wonderful testimony that comes to us in Scripture is, because I don't change, you are not consumed. I am who I am. I am the sovereign God who shows steadfast love to my people, who doesn't forget my covenant, who doesn't forget to do what you need. And the more we learn about God, the more we, we praise him for who he is. Belgic Confession Article 1 beautifully says, God is almighty. He's perfectly wise. He's just. He's good. He's the overflowing fountain of all good. And he's always that. He always is who he is. That is his name forever. His name is connected to his essence. It's inseparable from his identity. And that's why throughout scripture you continue to have new names of God being revealed to us to continue to shape how we know and understand him. Um, and we've, we've learned some of these names as we, as we grow in the faith. We learn the, the preciousness of some of these names. When God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17 and, and calls himself El Shaddai, I'm the overshadowing God. 
I'm the Almighty God. That tells us something about the God who is. Um, we, we all know a name of God from a mighty fortress is our God, whether we realize that or not. If you know that hymn, you've learned a name of God. Verse 2 of that hymn goes, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Um, Lord Sabaoth is a name. It's a name that means the Lord of hosts and the Lord of armies. And it's beautifully set forth in that hymn to say, there might be the prince of darkness who's arrayed against God's people. The whole world might be filled with devils. But there is one who is the Lord of armies, and you know his name. And when he goes out against all that's opposed to him, even if this world was devil-filled and threatened to undo us, it would just take him one word to set everything right. Because the whole world is not enough to oppose Lord Sabaoth, Jesus Christ. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, who needs no weapon but the word. That's why, as we talked about in the Revelation study, that's why in his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword. It's a way of saying, he doesn't need any weapon but his voice. God is so great that he touches the mountains and they smoke. He utters his voice and the world melts. That's the God we serve. And as we learn his names, they tell us things about our God. They reveal to us who God is. That's the significance of these names that come across to us in Scripture. Um, And we need that to understand who God is. One theologian said, God's being is so rich and comprehensive that we need to have some benchmarks in order to understand the rest. God's names are not empty sounds like the names of people but they have meaning and contribute to our knowledge of God. That's what his name is. That's the significance of his name. It's inseparably connected to his identity, to his, to his essence, to our understanding of who he is. That's, that's the significance of his name. And that's why it's sinful to misuse that name. That, that great name that reveals to us who God is is so significant that it's never to be misused. And that's what comes to us with force from God's word and as it's summarized in the catechism. It's because of the significance of his name that it's not to be misused. Um, What's God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths. We have to take this commandment very seriously. Um, to take the name of the Lord as, as Exodus presents it to us means to lift it up, to carry it. Um, the, the picture there in a narrow sense is of a, a witness testifying in court. And they take up the name of the Lord to say that what they're saying is true. Um, you know, we, we used to, I don't think we do it anymore, but we used to in courtrooms swear to tell the, t- the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right, that was calling God to witness to the oath you're taking um, and to lift up his name as a witness to the truth. Um, that, that's the sense in what it is to take up his name. 
And so the commandment is saying to take up his name vainly um, in, in a way that, that, that is nothing, that means nothing, that's empty. You might think of Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. It's empty, it's nothing. And so to, to lift up this glorious name for nothing or as if it's nothing is a terrible sin. It's a terrible sin. We're not to lift up his name for empty reasons because of the deep significance of his name. One commentator said, God's name has deep spiritual significance, so to treat it like something worthless is profanity in the truest sense of the word. It is to treat something holy and sacred as common and secular. It is to dishonor God's name in any way to dishonor God's name in any way is to denigrate his holiness. It is a way of saying that God himself is worthless. It'd be a terrible thing to do. To act as if God's name is worthless and that he is worthless. That's why there's so many misuses of his name that he hated in the Old Testament. He hated it when people would swear in his name and not tell the truth. Right, Lift up his name to bear witness to falsehood. He hates that. The Lord said he hated sorcery. Sorcery in that day was a way of manipulating a God by knowing his name. It was this notion that if, if you knew something's name, you could manipulate it. And that's, that's what sorcerers thought they could do. And so once again, right, to, to think that you can manipulate God. Um, to think that you can make him do what you want him to do is something that God said he hates. Um, you might think of that almost comical scene in Acts chapter 19 uh, when the seven sons of Sceva think that they have found the magical way to manipulate God and they hear that Paul is driving out demons uh, by using the name of Jesus and that sounds good to them so they think they might try it. Right, And so these itinerant Jewish exorcists undertake to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Right, you, it's pretty comical, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, Jesus I know, Paul I know, I'm familiar with you, I don't know. And I'm not particularly afraid of you. Um, what's in a name? Well, lots in a name. But Jesus' name is not a name to be manipulated. It's not a way to, to work that way. God also hated when his name was used in false prophecy. When someone would come and say, the Lord says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Um, and the Lord said that in Jeremiah 14, 15, uh, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. You think God doesn't take his name seriously? Um, his name is serious because he's serious. His name is not to be trifled with. And that's sad because it happens in our world all the time. People are constantly taking the name of the Lord in vain. 
lifting it up to swear worthless oaths. Right? I swear to God, it's just the way people talk now. Um, and you hear that, and it, it, it should make us cringe that people would take the name of the Lord so lightly or just use it as an expression of astonishment. Oh my God. Jesus, what's going on with that? It's a terrible thing to hear going on in the world because we know those names. We know whose name is being used in that way. We know that there are people who for their own profit and to profit off other people will say that they prophesy in God's name. That they have a word for you. If you just send in a donation, they'd be happy to share it with you. Right? These, these things are happening all the time and we need to understand the seriousness of this sin. Um, question 100 really drives it home for us. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they do and can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed, no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. He will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Um, that's serious, right? Uh, it, it's kind of an amazing statement in the catechism. There's no sin greater or provokes God more than misusing his name. Um, and, and I think that, that holds from what the scriptures tell us. One, one commentator, a really helpful analogy, I thought he said, think, think of it this way. It's, it's like God has trademarked and copyrighted his name. Um, and, and if you use it the way he's authorized it, then it's fine. If it's an authorized use, it's fine. But if it's unauthorized, it's very dangerous. Um, he said, God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his written instructions. It needs to be understood, however, that God's name has not been released into the public domain. God retains legal control over his name and threatens serious penalties against the unauthorized misuse of his supremely valuable property. All trademark violations will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. The prosecutor, judge, jury, and enforcer is God. Um, this is a very serious sin. Um, I think there's a, there's a picture of how serious this is at at that scene of judgment in Matthew 7. Um, recall Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is taking the Lord's name all in vain all the way to the end. Um, calling out to him who they've not believed in, saying they did good in whose name they only did evil. Um, and that will be no defense in that day. And one of the reasons they will be condemned because they've not used his name in a way that's acceptable to him. Um, we need to understand the, se the seriousness of misusing his name. Not that we would be so scared we never use it. Um, not so we'd be so scared that we never use it. 
Um, one of the reasons it's hard for us to know exactly how Yahweh in the Old Testament is pronounced in the Hebrew is because the Hebrews were so afraid of misusing the name, they would never mention it at all. And so every time they came to the proper name of God, Yahweh, if you were in the synagogue, you would just hear Adonai. They would read Lord instead of his name. Because they were saying, if you misuse the name of the Lord your God, he will not hold you guiltless. And so, you know, that's, that's a, an example of the, you know, the cure being worse than the disease. God doesn't say, don't use my name at all. He says, use my name the way I want you to use my name. Um, as identifying who I am. He wants us to use it for lawful purposes. Uh, that we use the holy name of God with reverence and awe. He wants us to know his name so that we know who we're calling on. Right? It was a great comfort to Moses to be able to say who had sent him. To be able to tell God's people, it was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who sent me. The God we know. One of the rich reasons God lets us know what his name is in the scriptures is so that we know who he is and understand who he is. And all of those various names that appear in the Old Testament that teach us aspects of who he is in these last days have become most revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ who's come. You know what? You want to know what it means that God is God? You look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells you what God is like. He tells you that God is true and that God is wise and that God is loving and compassionate that he's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He wants you to know his name so that you know who he is. He wants you to know that the Spirit is a spirit of might and discernment of wisdom and power and understanding. He wants us to know his name so that we might use his name correctly with reverence and awe so that we would confess him and so that we would be able to call upon him and so we'd be able to praise him in everything we do and say. Um, it is a serious thing to misuse the name of God, but it's a blessed thing to use it aright. To use it with reverence and awe. To know who you're calling on. I always find it so sad when someone says, you know, I, I believe that there's a God. And they have that kind of, you know, sense that there's some kind of God out there, but they really don't know who he is. Or they, they're religious and they believe in some kind of spiritual power. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to say, I know God and I know his name. I know who he is. I know what he's about. And I know what he promises to do for those who love him. I know the Lord Jesus Christ and I know that he is who he is. Always and forever. Throughout the generations of God's people, Jesus is who he is. He's the same God in every moment of need. He's the same God in every circumstance. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know his name. And he's made himself known to us that we would use his name. That we would confess his name and call upon his name and pray to him and praise him. Um, and so that we would give thanks to God for him. 
And the scriptures teach us how to use his name in the right way. The Psalms particularly help us in this. And one last thing that's worth mentioning is that God has made his name to dwell in us. Um, It's interesting to know that one of the blessings that God's people receive is to be incorporated into God's name. Right? Think of when Jesus gives the, the great commission to his disciples. What does he tell them to go into the world and do? Go into the world and baptize them into the name of the Father and into the name of the Son and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Baptize them into the name. Right, Just as his name identifies him to us, his name identifies us with him. He incorporates us into that name. That's one of the beautiful things that the scriptures return us to again and again. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, talking about past sin, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Right? It's not just his name, it's he's incorporated us and called us by his name. We are his. It's a wonderful thing to know that we share his name. That's why we're called Christians, after all. We understand that the name, the title Christ means anointed. That he's been anointed by the Father in the Holy Spirit to be our prophet, priest, and king. And we're called Christians. Why? Because we share in his anointing. Just like Psalm 133 talked about the oil that pours down Aaron's beard and over, overflows his collar. Um, I don't know how you feel about that imagery. It seems like the oil gets everywhere. and can't. It, I don't know that that's necessarily the greatest picture to me. But what it is is it's intentional, right? That oil gets everywhere. It gets in the beard. It gets in the clothes, And in a beautiful way, what Scripture tells us is that anointing that is poured out on the Lord pours over onto His people. We share His anointing. Right? There's a sense in which there's a priesthood now of all believers. We share in that anointing. We will reign with Him. There's a kingship of all believers. We confess His name in the world. There's there's a prophetic role in all of His believers. We share in that anointing. We are not the king, but we are the king's people. Um, And that should affect how we live. Because when we go out into the world, we carry his name, don't we? The church is always concerned about that, about his name in the world. We go out as those who share his name. Just as maybe you, you had families or people who would say, don't embarrass the family. Right? You don't just go out there on your own. You go out there representing your family. Or if, or if you played on a team, you, know, you, you represent your team, not just yourself. Coaches would say, right, the name on the front of your jersey is more important than the name on the back of your jersey. Um, and, and, and people will say, you know, if you play for Team USA, it's, it's an amazing thing to have USA on. That's who you're representing. It's the same way for the church in the world. Who are we representing when we carry on in the world? We're representing his name that we share 
We should be very concerned for his reputation. Commentator said, The very name of Christ is associated with everything we do. Our reputation is a reflection on his reputation. And so we should always make it our aim to honor his name. That should be our goal in our lives. To honor his name. To recognize that we share in that name and we carry that name. That he is who he is. And he's made his name to dwell with us. It's a beautiful reminder of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when his name is honored, the church grows. Um, That's the wonderful conclusion, and we'll end with this. But this is the wonderful conclusion to that story of the seven sons of Sceva who end up embarrassed by misusing the name, but what happens following their misuse of the name? Well, in Acts 19, 17 through 20, we read this. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What happens when God's name is honored? The church grows. That's one of the reasons we want to lift up his name with honor in the world, that we might see his word increase, his kingdom grow, and his name prevail mightily in the world. Um, So may we always take up God's name not as an empty, vain thing, but as the holy and wonderful name that it is. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have made known your name, that you have revealed yourself to us, and that we can have the confidence to know that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen you, that we know you fully through him, who is the last and best revelation of your name to us. We thank you for your goodness. We pray that you would help us to lift up your name only to honor it with reverence and awe. Where we fail to do that, Lord, would you forgive us our sins? Would you cover them and blot them out by the name and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ? And would you help us to remember that we bear that name because you have brought us and incorporated us into your family, that Christ's titles now come to us as well, that we share in his anointing and so we share in his name. And so may we seek to do all we can to honor his name in the world that we might see his name extolled and his kingdom grow and the word of the Lord increase and prevail mightily. Thank you for calling us by your name. May we always seek to see it honored and hallowed in this world. Hear our prayers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.